Welcome back to Ball with y'all. So excited to join y'all on this beautiful Monday. We're coming off of a weekend jam-packed with notable results, many of which will shape the direction of the season ahead. Before we discuss the action, I want to encourage you all to like, subscribe, rate, and review if your preferred platform allows if you're a fan of us here at Ball with Y'all. We're continuing to expand our content, so be sure to check out more from us on Instagram at Ball with Y'all podcast. Like I said, we're coming off of a full weekend of football. We've learned a lot about many of the nation's top teams, and we're also starting to find out who will be playoff contenders by season's end. While none of the top 10 teams lost this week, we did have several ranked teams go down. Let's break down our leading storylines from Saturday with this week's weekend wind down. First off, I firmly believe that we might have just seen an SEC championship preview this past Saturday. While watching the Alabama-Florida game this week, I was reminded of Avengers Infinity War. If you're familiar with the Avengers series, uh, very popular with fans, with movie fans throughout the nation and around the globe. What was really interesting about the Alabama-Florida game is, you know, of course, Alabama's coming in. I kind of saw them as the Thanos in this situation, right? They're the big dog. Some people want to take him down. Other people are a part of the team. And they're the main characters throughout the main story, of course. And for those of you that remember back in 2018 when Infinity War came out, Thanos went on this trek to collect all of the Infinity Stones so he could complete his mission and wipe out half the world, right? And ultimately speaking, you get down to this final scene, which I believe took place in Wakanda, if I remember correctly, and Thanos eventually gets the final stone, right? I apologize if I'm spoiling it for you. Uh, It's been about three years, so hopefully you will have seen it by now. But eventually he gets to that point, right? And numerous times throughout that battle, the opposition, the Avengers, think that they've won, right? And there's actually a point in time where they think, oh, we did it. We, We got what we needed to happen. We're safe. And then just at the very end, Thanos pulls it out and he succeeds in doing what he wants to do, of course. Now, as you're probably familiar, the story doesn't end there and we end up getting Avengers Endgame and so on and the battle isn't over. I say all that because watching that game this past Saturday, Alabama came out there and did exactly what they wanted to do. It wasn't necessarily the way that they expected to do it. And of course, watching that first quarter, I remember watching it myself and I got pretty comfortable after the first quarter and usually I don't sit down during these types of games I wanted to sit down at the end of the first quarter it was 21 to 3 I was very comfortable with where we were at and then things kind of started to get a little bit more interesting as the game wore on it was very much a tale of four quarters where no quarter was the same as the quarter prior in the same way as the Avengers in their battle with Thanos yes Alabama won the battle this past Saturday and it was an impressive win in a in a hostile environment. But I don't think the war is quite over yet. Of course, it lived up to the hype. I would not be surprised if we see these two teams play again in December. We'll kind of get into that here. Attendance for this game was the fifth largest crowd in Ben Hill Griffin Stadium history. The fans came out, like I was saying, you play the level of the competition, you come out expecting a good result, and we saw that with the fan attendance on Saturday. Florida pushed Alabama to the brink, and I think both teams learned a lot about themselves in the process, particularly Florida. We didn't really know what to expect of them after their opening game against the Florida Atlantic Owls, and then following that up with the game against South Florida, the South Florida Bulls, where they really didn't show us a whole lot in the grand scheme of things. Dan Mullen afterward, the head coach for the Florida Gators, he talked about there being positives that they can build off of. He mentioned that they need to limit their mistakes 
particularly in games of this caliber. If you look at their schedule, they've got a couple couple weeks to kind of sort through some things, if you will. But they do have a couple games they need to limit their mistakes, and that was part of the reason that they didn't end up coming out with a win here, particularly if you look at that missed extra point that really doomed the team toward the end of the game. Of course, on the Alabama side of things, their run defense was absolutely horrid. They gave up more than 250 yards rushing and allowed four rushing touchdowns. Offensively, Alabama wasn't necessarily all that impressive throughout the game. Of course, they started off strong, but they could not get the run game established. They were very one-dimensional, and they relied on Bryce Young to perform, which, of course, he did, but you don't necessarily want to have to rely on that each and every game. Saban, Coach Saban, after the game, talked about how they needed to maintain their intensity. He saw that intensity drop off after the first quarter. He also talked about there, there being a number of mental errors. You talk about penalties on the offensive side and defensive side of the ball. Numerous situations where the crowd noise got to them. They had to go to a silent count at one point as a result of that. And this game really reminded me of the 2014 Arkansas game between Arkansas and Alabama. If I remember correctly, it was a road game for the tie. They were playing over in Fayetteville, Arkansas for that one. And that night, Arkansas outgained the tie 335 yards to 227 yards. Of course, Alabama won that game 14 to 13 thanks to a missed extra point. Does that ring a bell at all, of course, after this past Saturday? This past Saturday, you saw Florida outgaining Alabama 439 to 324 yards. Very eerie parallels there. It also reminded me of last year's Ole Miss game where Lane Kiffin gave Alabama everything they wanted and more. We saw this past Saturday where the Alabama defense allowed more than 250 yards rushing like I talked about, and that is the most since they allowed 268 rushing yards to Ole Miss just last year and then also 280 to Ole Miss in 2019. So looking ahead, what is stopping these two teams from playing again in the SEC Championship in December? Well, I think on the Alabama side, you look at that Ole Miss game. They've got in a couple weeks, October 2nd. Ole Miss's attack is very high tempo, very up-tempo. It's no huddle, all that kind of stuff. That's a lot of what Florida succeeded with this past weekend. So if you're looking for a game that the Tide are really going to struggle defensively, that will probably be one to look for. On the Florida side of things, of course, they do have a little bit of a reprieve when it comes to scheduling. If you look at October 30th, when they play the University of Georgia, that's always going to be a tough game, particularly looking at how strong the Bulldogs are right now. But also, if you look at just uh, two weeks prior to that Georgia game, I believe October 16th, they do visit LSU. And I expect that that could be somewhat of an issue for the Gators as well if they do not work on the improvements that Mullen talked about post-game. Wrapping up the game, of course, though, Alabama now has 32 straight wins against SEC East teams. Saban is now 11-0 against Dan Mullen. And, of course, Dan Mullen is now 0-6 against AP number one teams. But hopefully we get the chance to see those two teams show down once more in December. Another top takeaway from this weekend. Stop me if you've heard this before, but the ACC is just not good. The ACC, in my opinion, is a lot like drinking LaCroix. And apologies in advance to those of you who, for whatever reason, like drinking LaCroix, if you're a LaCroix fan out there. In my opinion, and numerous people I've talked to before, you know, you drink a LaCroix, those little, is it almost like staticky water, and it's nasty. It's disgusting, right? You don't want to do that. And and you forget about it. Maybe a few, a few months down the road, maybe a few years down the road, you're like, hmm, I think that that looks fun. If you look at the packaging, it could be a little appealing, right? So you try the staticky water again. And lo and behold, it's nasty again. And in the same way, the ACC 
you know, you, you forget that they're not good. And then you get performances like this past weekend, and you're reminded just how nasty that conference is as well. You look at then number 15, Virginia Tech. They're now unranked as a result of their showing this weekend, but they lost to unranked West Virginia. You saw then number 24, Miami. They fell apart at home against Michigan State. I talked just last week about how promising their performance against Appalachian State was as far as what that could mean in becoming bowl eligible and all that kind of stuff. And then they show appearances just like they did this past weekend against the Spartans. Very disturbing if I'm a Hurricane fan. We also saw Pitt. They lost a close one to Western Michigan only a week after an impressive win at Tennessee. So a lot of excitement in that Pitt program, but plummeted just a week later. We saw Florida State. They are now one of only nine winless FBS programs in the entire country. There are nine FBS programs that have not won a game this year. And Florida State, the Seminoles, are one of those teams. And then, of course, Clemson. They just did not look good at all in a tight win over the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, where they required some last-minute heroics from that defense just to squeak out a win, especially in a situation where they needed some style points, and they did not get it. So... For a while, it's been a Clemson-only league, and now it's it's that perception isn't going to go anywhere if you have performances like you saw this past weekend. And then, of course, Clemson did not play well either. So there's not much to watch in the conference right now, and I'd say of the three conferences in that alliance that we talked about earlier this year, the ACC is absolutely the lesser of the three. Lastly, when it comes to notable takeaways from this past weekend, we saw Cincinnati go out there and beat a Big Ten team in the form of the Indiana Hoosiers. And I have a sneaking suspicion that we might see Cincinnati become a prominent playoff contender by the end of the year. Of course, the Bearcats, they beat a good Indiana team on the road. They forced four turnovers, winning 38-24. to They did struggle a bit throughout the earlier part of the game, but hey, a win is a win. Cincy, of course, had been undefeated last year before bowl season and then ultimately didn't get enough votes to make it into the college football playoff. And if you look in just two weeks, they play a very good Notre Dame team. And if they win that game, they will have had a win over the Indiana Hoosiers. They will have had a win over a very notable Notre Dame team. One of the reasons they didn't get in the playoff last year is because they didn't have a resume that warranted getting into the playoff, being from a lesser conference and so on. Well, now they could just put themselves in that position with a win over the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, especially if you consider how unimpressive this particular year, how you look at Ohio State, Notre Dame, Clemson, Oklahoma, all of them have been rather unimpressive, right? Oregon is the only remaining undefeated Pac-12 team. So this could be the year where we have some shakeups at the top. And of course, some have been drawing comparisons for this year to 2007. If you recall, that had been a crazy year for Kansas, Missouri, and USF. They were all prominent title contenders that year. And if that is the case, if we do in fact have a crazy year ahead of us, Cincinnati is absolutely in great shape following their win at Indiana. Of course, we had the AP poll come out yesterday. As always, there was a little bit of movement in the poll, some movement that was a little bit more surprising than others. Of course, you look at Alabama and Georgia. They held firm after impressive wins in their own right. Of course, Alabama, we talked about that. Georgia with a very dominating win over the South Carolina Gamecocks. You saw Oregon. They replaced the Oklahoma Sooners at number three after Oklahoma's lackluster performance against Nebraska. Penn State, they moved up four spots after its primetime win against Auburn, up now to number six. You saw also Clemson. We talked about how Clemson's been struggling a little bit. 
they slid three spots after a very underwhelming win against Georgia Tech. From an SEC standpoint, there are seven SEC teams ranked, including five in the top 13. Auburn and UCLA both dropped to number 23 and number 24, respectively, after their losses. And then we also do have a few new entrants in the top 25. You look at Michigan State, now up to number 20, Fresno State at number 22, and Kansas State at number 25. Another interesting thing that came out of this past weekend, it was a really bad day to be an SEC referee. Of course, it started off with some pretty inconsistent pass interference calls in both directions in the Bama-Florida game. We also had a clock issue toward the end of that in the final three minutes. That was a little frustrating for those of us watching the game. I imagine the same frustration was felt for both the coaches and the players as well. Not an ideal ending to a very pressurized moment where we didn't even know how many minutes, how many seconds were on the clock, the game clock, or whatever else. Then we saw in the Auburn-Penn State game, very weird situation. I don't think I've seen this situation play out in recent history. Early in the second quarter, the referees, they mistakenly indicated that it was third down instead of second down after Sean Clifford, the Penn State quarterback, he was called for intentional grounding on first down. So the on-field and replay officials all agreed that it was third down when it really should have been second down. And of course, ultimately speaking, on that drive, Penn State ended up punting the next play. During the subsequent media timeout, it was discovered that the Nittany Lions had in fact punted a down early, that they had punted on third down, and the officials shorted them a play. Of course, they're lucky it didn't have a result. It didn't it didn't matter in the in the long-term scheme of things. Of course, Penn State still won the game. James Franklin didn't really have a whole lot to say about it, and it didn't really matter in the sense of what actually ended up transpiring in the game. But those situations, you don't really want to see them happen, especially in that kind of environment. You know the nation's watching. This is the college game day game of the week. In fact, I was I had numerous screens going. I had Georgia on one screen. I had the NASCAR race on another screen, and then I had this game on as well. So there were probably people across the country watching numerous different things at once, but even still, they're paying attention to what transpired in this game, and that is not something you want to see in one of the most prominent games of the week. To that extent, there was one game that the uh, officiating mistake kind of did matter. Look at Mississippi State when they visited Memphis Saturday afternoon. With just under six minutes to go, Mississippi State punted the ball. And that punt was touched by several Mississippi State players, but it wasn't officially downed, right? And then Memphis's returner, Calvin Austin III, he recognized that the ball was still alive, so as it was laying on the turf, he went up, picked it up, and ran at 94 yards for a touchdown that basically sealed the game. They ended up scoring another field goal on top of that, but basically sealed the game at that point in time. After the fact, the SEC tweeted that the back judge, one of the referees on the field, had actually signaled to stop the clock after Austin first possessed the ball. And according to the SEC, that inadvertent signal should have likely nullified the touchdown. Here's the statement from the SEC Saturday evening. At 5.58 in the fourth quarter of the Mississippi State at Memphis game, Mississippi State punts the ball downfield where the loose ball touches multiple kicking team players before a receiving team player picks up the ball and returns it for a touchdown. The kicked ball remained live by rule since it was not possessed by a player, nor did it come to rest inbounds with no player attempting to secure it. On the play, the back judge gave a single stop-the-clock signal immediately after the receiving team possessed the ball. The inadvertent signal aspect of the play is reviewable, and replay should have stopped the game to review for a potential inadvertent signal. The subsequent review would have placed the ball at the spot where the signal was made. So what the SEC is saying here, listen, 
That was a very heads-up play by the Memphis returner to pick up that ball and run the other 94 yards. But what they're saying is, okay, the back judge, when he signals the play is dead because the Memphis player touches the ball, then everything thereafter shouldn't have mattered. They should have blown the play dead and moved on with their lives. And of course, that touchdown ultimately decided the game. There was also two players on the field during that play wearing the same number for Memphis. They were both wearing number four, which is also against the rules. You can't do that. So that also should have resulted in a five-yard penalty for the Memphis Tigers. So they got away with a couple different plays there. And like I said, not a good day to be a referee in the SEC. Officiating probably didn't play too much of a role in Alabama beating Florida or in Penn State beating Auburn, but it certainly played a role in Mississippi State falling apart toward the end of that game against the Memphis Tigers. Looking at a couple other notable results as we wrap up today's show, we saw Purdue go to Notre Dame. Purdue was an underdog going in there. They played their hearts out. They played strong the first three quarters. It was a sloppy performance for Notre Dame. They, of course, won 27-13. It's not the first time we've seen it before, but Notre Dame had to pull away from Purdue in the fourth quarter. Defense for Notre Dame, it performed better in the second half than in the first couple weeks, but it still left a lot to be desired. Of course, on the offensive side of the ball, that offensive line continues to be a point of concern, particularly having lost both their first and second string left tackle to injuries. There's still a lot to approve upon for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish moving forward on both sides of the ball. But the problem is they don't have a lot of time to do that. If you look at, for example, just this week, they have college game day coming to town. They're going to be playing at Soldier Field in Chicago, where they're going to be playing a ranked Wisconsin team. And then also moving forward, Notre Dame's next five opponents all have bye weeks before they face off with the Irish. So those teams are going to be prepared. They're going to be rested. They're going to be ready, including that Cincinnati team we talked about early. And Notre Dame just doesn't have the time to fix the things that they need to fix that Brian Kelly and his team have identified in that short order. So we'll see how it transpires, particularly this week when they face off against the Wisconsin Badgers, but not a good position to be in right now if you're a Notre Dame Fighting Irish fan. We also saw, of course, I mentioned it earlier when I was talking about officiating, Auburn played Penn State in what was a ridiculously fun game to watch. This was, of course, the first regular season meeting between the two schools, and it did not disappoint. Of course, for Penn State, it was a wide-out crowd. The fans were rocking the entire night. Of course, it was a relentless crowd. The energy was filling the stadium for the Nittany Lions. For Penn State, the quarterback, Sean Clifford, he was efficient. He threw 28 completions on 32 attempts, 280 yards, and two passing touchdowns. And now Penn State has their second ranked win of the year. They are well set up for a Big Ten championship run. I would say that they're probably the best team in the Big Ten East right now. And they are certainly a complete team, both offensively and defensively. On the Auburn side of things, if you were looking to take away some positives, they they caused some problems with the run game, particularly through their running back Tank Bigsby, of course, He, I believe, was freshman of the year last year on the offensive side of the ball. This loss, of course, takes Brian Harson, the head coach for Auburn, it takes his first year off track, I would say temporarily. Auburn's defense, they could not get any pressure when they needed it, and the passing game play calling still has a lot of room to improve. Moving forward, they can probably benefit from continuing to use Tank Bigsby in a broader capacity. Now, Auburn's season is still ahead of them, right? A non-conference loss does not doom their season. Their season is not over. It's not the end of the world, per se. But they do have some pretty prominent games upcoming, so they got to fix these things and fix them fast. you got, just in two weeks, October 2nd, 
they're going to play LSU, right? We talk a little bit about how I see LSU being a problem for Florida. The same thing for Auburn. I think LSU's defense is getting better. LSU's offense is starting to click a little bit. They were a little lackluster a week ago against McNeese State, but they improved this past week against Central Michigan. Then also just a week later, a tough back-to-back here if you're an Auburn fan, you've got the University of Georgia. The Bulldogs, like I said earlier, nothing short of impressive have the Bulldogs been as of late. And those are, of course, the two biggest upcoming challenges before the Tigers turn to the second half of their schedule, where, of course, they will wrap up with the Alabama Crimson Tide. So listen, week three answered a lot of questions about a number of programs, and it also gave us a lot more to consider as we move ahead. Looking ahead to next week, it definitely looks like we're going to get more of the same with a number of big-time showdowns. Remember to join us on Thursday as we preview those matchups, and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Have a great Monday, and as always, thanks for allowing us to kick off your week by talking some ball with y'all.